Who do you think you are? That was the question. It was posed to ten well-known personalities on a recent BBC2 documentary. Like the four million Brits who research their family tree every single year, these personalities uncovered not a few surprises. Bill Oddie, for example, the TV presenter, uncovered a death certificate for an infant sister whom he never knew even existed. Ian Hislop, the TV panellist, lend the story of how one of his grandfathers had fought in the Boer War. And David Baddiel, the comedian, very movingly, traced the story of how his Jewish relatives had eventually died within the confines of the Warsaw Ghetto during World War II. No doubt, for all these celebrities, this reaching into the past shed some light into the present. Nevertheless, with the fragmentary nature of history, with incomplete records and foggy memories, many of their key questions remained unanswered. And in particular, who am I and where do I come from? Tonight, I want to take you back even further in history some 2,000 years, to another curious audience who long before the invention of television or the idea of the BBC Two series posed the very same question. They asked a man named Jesus, who do you think you are? To those who had asked the question, his Jewish audience, Jesus' reply was not only sure, but shocking. Before Abraham was born, I am. And if you were a Jew, you would have been in no doubt what Jesus was claiming. Two inconceivable things. First, to have existed before his oldest ancestor, a man named Abraham, who had lived 2,000 years previous. That seemed ludicrous. And secondly, even greater and even worse, to be no less than God himself. For you see, I am was actually a name that God used for himself throughout Jewish history. For Jesus to claim the name seemed blasphemous. Tonight, we begin a new series on the third Sunday of each month under a title which is really a question. If everything Jesus said was true and the key word being everything, even the hard bits, what difference would it make? And tonight, in relation to Jesus' statement, we can frame the question in this way. If Jesus claimed to be God, I am is true, then what difference would that make to your life and to mine? And I think we learn exactly the difference as we look at the surrounding context of Jesus' statement and the story that was just read to us. And so, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 31 through to 59. It would really help to have a Bible open in front of you. There are a few Bibles 
and it's page 1074. Let's just pray at this point and ask for God's help as we seek to understand his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the Bible, your word to us. We thank you for all that it contains, including the words of Jesus, your Son. Father, we confess that sometimes we find his words radical and always challenging. And yet we thank you that because they are, they're also life-changing, making a big difference. So, Lord, help us to understand tonight what Jesus is saying, who he really is. Help me to speak and help all of us to listen to your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Imagine the difference it would have made for the crowd on that day 2,000 years ago. The end of the day when they picked up stones to try and kill this man if they had considered for a moment the possibility that he might have been who he claimed to be. What a difference to their attitudes had they factored in the possibility that the man standing before them was not merely a man, but God, I am. What weight would his words have carried if they could have conceived that the man who spoke to them at the very dawn of creation also spoke his powerful word and brought everything into being. What grave consideration, what rapt attention would they have given to his words had they grasped the claim of his blameless character to be true, unable to tell them a lie about himself or about their lives. What a difference. What a difference it would make to you and I tonight. You see, when we consider the possibility that Jesus is God, a strange thing happens. Peculiarly, the spotlight turns around and back onto us and our lives. When we recognize Jesus as God and we as his creatures, we recognize his right, his authority to examine our lives and show us who we really are. The one who is I am tells us who we are. And there are, are, if you like, three areas that Jesus highlights in this particular passage in the lives of his Jewish audience and they're equally applicable to our lives tonight. The first is what we might call the area of spiritual pedigree. And Jesus here asks a question, are we sons Or are we slaves? One of the very interesting uh, programs, one of the interesting parts of the BBC Two documentary was the week when Moira Stewart, the television uh, presenter, was on and researching her family history. One of the very painful pieces of her background that she looked into was how her great-grandfather had been a slave on the island of Antigua. It was a particular heritage that she found it very difficult to look back on. But quite differently, the Jewish audience whom Jesus was interacting with looked back on their past and a father figure, a man named Abraham, 
with a certain degree of confidence. You might even say smugness. You see, Abraham was the founding figure of the Jewish nation. And it is through their physical descent from Abraham that these people repeatedly claim to have a spiritual pedigree, a spiritual edge. Twice they repeat that they are Abraham's descendants. And most importantly, through this line, they believe that God is their father and they are his children. Unlike Moira Stewart and her painful glance back into the past, they looked back to Abraham and saw themselves as spiritually free. It's probably unlikely that a great many of us tonight come from a Jewish background. And we may not lay great stake in a lineage that we can trace back to Abraham. But nevertheless, we may, like this crowd, seek to curry favour with God through certain aspects of our background. Things that we believe give us an innate spiritual advantage. If there is a God, we think, then surely he will like us. He will love us because of the things that we can point to in our background. Perhaps being born in a so-called Christian country. Or more to the point, being born in a Christian home. Being taken to church when we were young. Attending now and again when we are older. Having been baptised. Or perhaps more commonly, living according to a moral code that, broadly speaking, we would regard as Christian. But to the Jews and to the Gentiles, everyone else, Jesus challenges this false sense of security, this so-called spiritual pedigree. We may think we are free, but Jesus says, in actual fact, we are born as slaves. It is only those, verse 32, who hold to his teaching that will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. Jesus points out what, in fact, we are slaves to in verse 34. He says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Sin, I think, is a very misunderstood word. In the Bible, sin simply describes a rejection of God as our Creator and our Lord. An atheist can't believe in sin, because sin always involves turning away from God to serve our own interests, to do our own thing. And this might seem pleasant in the short term, pleasurable for a moment. But Jesus points out that the long-term effects of a sinful life are absolutely devastating. He uses the common picture of the time of the slave in the household. And he points out, again in verse 34, that a slave had no permanent place in the family. A slave could always be sold on. And in other words, what Jesus is saying is that all those who sin, and that's every one of us, have no long-term prospects in terms of being part of God's family. As long as sin enslaves us. Now, that may strike you as pretty grim this evening, and you might say, well, what can I do about it? The answer is, you can't do anything about it. But Jesus, the Son in God's house, can do something. 
He alone is perfect. And living on earth, he eventually went to a cross to pay the price that would buy us back from slavery. To take slaves and make them into sons, privileged people, men and women, who are part of God's family. Because Jesus is God, he can promise this. He says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Another writer in the New Testament describes this change in this way. But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son to redeem, that is literally buy back, those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. You know, the ironic thing is that very often people think of Christianity as a bind. They think of it as slavery. They say, I don't want to become a Christian because I wouldn't be able to do lots of things that I would like to do. In his autobiography, Finding My Feet, the English rugby star, Jason Robinson, tells of his life before becoming a Christian and the difference that it made afterwards. Many would have regarded Robinson's life as the epitome of freedom. He had plenty of money, fame, and all the relationships that he could have wished. However, his so-called freedom eventually led him to slavery. A number of vices took over his life. And it was right at this rock-bottom point that a fellow player, a Christian, Baiga Twigamala, witnessed to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to faith in Jesus. And here's what he says about his life, both past and present. People often think, that because of my devotion to Christianity, my life must be restricted. But I feel freer now than I have ever done. I can say yes or no. I couldn't say no before. If I want to sit at home and drink six pints of beer, I can. It's just that I no longer have the need to do that. It's of no benefit to me. And it's only since becoming a Christian that I realize how bound I was before. Let me ask you this evening, in God's eyes, are you a slave or are you a son? Despite all your seemingly innate spiritual advantages, have you recognized your need to be free from sin and Jesus to be your only liberator? Jesus calls you this evening to be a true son, not just a pretend one. However, not only does Jesus challenge our spiritual pedigree, he also examines our whole mindset, our way of viewing the world. For to his Jewish audience, Jesus brings next to the fore the question of their native language. And he asks, do they embrace truth or lies? It's never nice to be called a liar. Though many people these days never to mind to tell a white lie some people will go on to television and take lie detector tests to maintain their integrity none of us would like to think 
as one song puts it, that our whole lives are a lie, living a lie. Yet this is exactly what Jesus says to all those who will not accept his words. That they are immersed in lies and are therefore unable to understand what he says to them. Verse 43, why is my language not clear to you? And this whole mindset Jesus describes as being like a language. Just as from birth, you learn a native tongue and you become completely immersed in the ideas and thoughts of that particular language, so it is that there is a language of lies that we live in, that we swim in from birth. And Jesus points us back to the very first speaker of this language, the father of lies, the one known as the devil. What a shocking thought. That from the moment we are born, we are in a sense following the footsteps of the devil himself, living our lives under a false illusion. In the great film, The Matrix, the main character, Neo, discovers that his whole life has been nothing more than a false reality. His whole universe has been nothing more than something run by a computer known as the Matrix. And Neo has to make the decision to want to know the truth despite the cost, the trauma involved in that. And you know, it's exactly the same in the choice that we need to make to become a Christian. To be brave, to gain that entirely new perspective on life. To see things Jesus' way. And just so that we're in no doubt that we're speaking Jesus' language, he gives us a truth test. Verse 46. If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says, and the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So I ask, is Jesus' language clear to you? Do you understand what he is saying? Do you accept his way of viewing the world? If you don't, then perhaps there's a language barrier between you and God. And maybe you need to learn a new language, a new way of viewing the world. Some years ago, I worked for a summer in the United States as a door-to-door salesman. Don't do. I learned that I wasn't much of a salesman. But I did gain great experience and had a number of memorable incidents. I remember one particular front doorstep very vividly. I'd just gone through my pre-planned approach, the SPRAF that I gave on every doorstep, only to realize by the blank look coming back at me that this person didn't understand a word I was saying. It wasn't just my Scottish accent. I was speaking English and this lady could only speak Spanish. Before I left the doorstep feeling rather foolish, her young son, I think he must have just been school age, just started school, came to the door and began to translate. Translating from English into Spanish and Spanish into English. Absolutely amazingly, I actually made the sale. But it was one of the very few that I made that summer. In the spiritual realm, 
Jesus can teach us a new language. Like that little boy learned another tongue, a new way of speaking. So it is that Jesus can take us from the language of life to the language of truth. And I ask you tonight, are you ready for the transition? Are you ready for Jesus to make the translation? If so, then you can have confidence as Jesus brings his third and final challenge relating to matters of life and death and what we could call life expectancy. For some people, understandably, the very mention of death sends a chill down their spine. Perhaps some face death with a degree of resignation. Well, what can you do? The British philosopher and atheist Bertrand Russell, back in 1938, famously said this, Man is the outcome of an accidental collision of atoms. And no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought or feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. And he famously added, When I die, I shall rot. If he's right, if that's true, then it's a very depressing reality for each one of us. For recall what the Irish writer George Bernard Shaw said when he completed his study on death, his only firm conclusion that one out of one dies. But to those who spear death in the face, Jesus offers hope. Look at what he says in verse 51. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Of course, Jesus wasn't speaking about physical death. That's what his audience thought he was talking about. And immediately they point to the great heroes of their faith, Abraham and the prophets. They say, these people died, they're in the grave. How can you promise this kind of life? And yet Jesus was offering something far greater, far deeper. Something more than just not dying in a physical sense. Life beyond death. What gives Jesus the right to offer something like that? How can he offer this hope? Well, very simply, because Jesus is God. That's where this passage gradually takes us towards this conclusion. Verse 54, we see that he is glorified by, no less than, God the Father himself. We see that Abraham, the great father of the Jewish nation, looks forward to, through the corridors of history, and rejoice to see the day of Jesus. We see that he was the one who existed even before Abraham. This is the God who is I am. And later Jesus' disciples recognized this. They recognized that he was the one who held the words of eternal life as God. It's life that can save. Recently we've been focusing, haven't we, on the tsunami in Asia and even on a far more minor scale but just this last week some flooding here in Scotland and people who have lost their lives someone reminded me this week of the flooding that took place not that long ago in Mozambique you maybe remember some of the pictures and horrendous images but there was one incredible story of hope that came out of that it concerned a young lady named Sophia Pedro who, while heavily pregnant, had clung to a tree for four days. 
holding on for dear life above the floodwaters that were steadily rising. While still perched in this tree, she managed to give birth to a newborn baby. And this child, who had just been born, immediately was in the very throes of death. Imagine that. Of course, the story made the headlines and the news because after the birth, rescuers came. A helicopter arrived in the scene, located them, and lifted them to safety. Friends, Jesus offers an even greater life-saving rescue. Whether we are young or old, whatever our background, as the waters of an eternal judgment rise on those who are slaves to sin, bound to lies, Jesus comes and offers a way of escape. He has made that way open for us when He died on a cross for our sins, bearing the burden of God's wrath in His own body. And if you like, He holds out His hand to you this evening. If you will take it and live. Imagine that lady, if the helicopter had come onto the scene and the rescuer perhaps took the baby away. And then the lady said, well actually, I'm quite happy in my tree. It's quite comfortable here. Or maybe she could feel very independent. I don't need your help. I don't need someone to help rescue me. How ludicrous would that have seemed? And yet, with no less a certain disaster coming upon us, are we refusing the rescuer? Are you holding out? Or are you holding on to Christ for your future? I do trust that you will put your faith in Him this evening, the one who can give you life in the face of physical death. Just as we finish, the celebrities on the earlier mentioned BBC Two program could not come up with a definite answer to the question, who do you think you are? But very differently, Jesus gives a confident, a sure answer. Before Abraham was born, I am. As we've seen, this is a claim to be no less than God. But the one question that remains outstanding is this. How will you and I respond to his claim? C.S. Lewis, the renowned children's writer and Oxford and Cambridge academic, struggled for many years before, as a mature man, he came to faith in Christ. He accepted his claims. In his well-known book, Mere Christianity, he warns us of the folly of thinking that we can sit on the fence with regard to Jesus. Listen closely to what he says. I'm trying to prevent anyone from seeing the really foolish thing that people often see about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spirit him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. 
and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great teacher. He has not left that open to us. Who do you believe Jesus to be? Do you believe Jesus to be God? The one who can bring you from slavery to sonship, from lies to truth, from death to life? If not, then who do you think Jesus is? Whatever you respond, I'm sure it will make the world of difference. Let's pray together. I'm going to give you the opportunity this evening perhaps to respond if you wish to do that. You can come to know Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for your sins, to be your Savior, your Lord, and your God. If that is what God has been speaking to you and challenging you to do, then I say to you, respond to that tonight. I'm going to just pray. And as I pray, you can make this prayer your prayer. I'll say one sentence at a time, then I'll pause. And if this prayer is your prayer, then just echo the words in your own mind. If this isn't appropriate for you, and it won't be for everyone, why don't you respond by praying something that is? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I've been living as if you weren't there. I've rejected you and removed you from the throne of my life. Please forgive me. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to earth and dying on a cross for me. Take over the running of my life. Be my Savior, my Lord, and my God. In your name I pray. Amen.